Morning, everyone. Happy St. David's Day. Uh, well done for braving the cold. And it was hailstoning just as I arrived this morning. How exciting. Well, we're continuing on our theme this year of A Year to Love. Everybody wants to be happy, right? Yeah? We do, don't we? I mean, if you did a survey... Um, excuse me. This has just dropped down. If you did a survey on the streets, people would probably give their answers, what is the purpose of life or what you want. It's some kind of pursuit of happiness. We all want to have an enriched life, a quality life, a blessed life, whichever language you want to choose. But the foundation for an enriched life, our well-being, our wholeness, our inner contentment, it's not the things that we have is not the things that we gain it comes out of who we are and the secret to actually let's call it happiness it's not a very good word for it really because happiness tends to be a word that we get happy because something good happens and it's momentarily but for the sake of argument happiness being blessed the quality of life let's call it those words the foundation for that is to know that you are truly loved. It really, really is. It's so simple. We spend so much of our time going for all the other stuff. I mean, the energy, the time, the effort that we put into all that. I'm just going to put this to one side because I didn't uh, switch, put it to never go off. We spend so much time and energy and anxiety in the pursuit of things. But the true secret to happiness starts with knowing that we are loved. Psychologists and the Bible affirms this. To know the love of a parent is absolutely foundational for our well-being. Fundamental. Foundational. Absolutely. To know that my parents... As a little child, love me unconditionally. Absolutely critical. To know the love of a spouse is wonderful. To know the love of a friend is valuable. Gosh, let me tell you this. Things that make you rich in life are the friends that walk with you through the journey of life. Not the other things that perish and fade. Really, the love of a friend it makes you rich. To, but to know the love of God, to know how much God loves you, is transformational. Absolutely. And the secret to truly being whole, blessed, enriched in life, is this simple key. The ability to receive and give love. Very simple, but not everybody can receive love because the problem is we, we do get wounded and damaged as we walk through life. And when we get wounded relationally or emotionally through life, we kind of doubt sometimes our self-worth and whether we're lovable. We don't always form it in our words so clearly as that, in our minds and our thinking. Sometimes we can't articulate it and express it. But they might say, God really loves you, and go, oh, I doubt that. Somebody might say, oh, I really love you. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
And it's often through the bumps and the wounds and the damages that we've received through the course of our life. And of course, if we are not loved, we struggle to love because we can only give out of what we have received and who we are. We can't give out of what you haven't got. So, the, and life is about relationships. It, it, we are made for love. And that is what brings us into this quality of life. So everything starts with the receiving of God's love. And then as the, we move on to recognize and experience God's love more and more, we become matured in love. And our ability to give love to others grows. Two commandments. The greatest commandment, says Jesus, love the Lord your God and love one another. Now, he didn't say this because God is sitting up in heaven and says, oh, please love me, please love me, oh, please love me. Or some kind of dutiful megalomaniac um, approach to our lives that makes us full of servitude. No, the reason why God gave these commandments, these commandments aren't for God's benefit, they're for our benefit. He knows what makes us whole. And we are created to love and to receive love. We're created to love God and to love others. And as we love God and love others, we grow into wholeness. They're dependent upon these others. So these are not commands that we have to obey in the sense of like some heavy duty that we are forced to do. These are keys for our well-being. In order to love others, which is absolutely critical for us to grow in wholeness, uh, we have to know that we, love, we are loved. In order to love God, which is critical for our well-being, we have to know that God loves us first. The book of John in the Bible says this, we love him because he first loved us. Our love for God is a response to his love. We, we can't love God unless we have first encountered his love because it's a response. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. We are responders to love. Do you find that, that we are responders to love? Love brings a response to us. A smile can bring a smile. An encouragement or a compliment can bring a compliment back. We love God because he first loved us. So I'd like to take a few moments this morning to explore uh, the next verse in our series, following in from Matthew last week, and how it applies to God loving us so that we can love others. And it's a simple verse, you've probably heard it. Love is not easily angered, it keeps no score of wrongs. Wow! Wouldn't that be great if we, we could go through life not easily angered? How cool would that be? Wouldn't it be brilliant? With the people that you love the most, with your kids and your spouse and your friends, with your bosses, with whoever you meet, with those there. Wouldn't it be brilliant if we could go through life not just getting wound up and not keeping score of wrongs? Because you know when you keep scores wrong, it doesn't... That doesn't do us any good on the inside, does it? Well, 
How can we do that? Well, this, the first key is, is to see how God manifests his love to us in not being easily angered or keeping score of wrongs towards us. So the Bible says this, beautiful verse. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. There you go. That's what he thinks about you. That is his response to you. That is his knee-jerk reaction to you. Slow to anger, gracious, abounding in love. And then he says in Isaiah 43, and I love this verse as well, I, even I am he, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. No record keeping. Awesome. So this is how God manifests his love to you. And God loves you and is fully focused upon you. He's slow to anger, he loves you, and he doesn't keep a record of your wrongs. He doesn't want to pay you back because he's got angry. He doesn't want you to not be blessed, enriched, have good things in your life, because he's got a record against you and he's looking at that record and uh, don't deserve it. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody says, oh, could you give me a hand? And you think, you're not going to get my help after all that you've said and all that you've done. And, and sometimes we've got this little record because we kept going, uh, don't deserve my help. Don't deserve my forgiveness. Don't deserve my blessing. Don't deserve my friendship. Why? Because this is still, uh, uh, this little list. Isn't it brilliant? Look, when God looks at us, he comes to a place where he says, I'm slow to anger. And I don't keep a score of wrongs. So I am not disqualifying you from good things. My blessing, my love. God is not quick to anger because he's more interested in your well-being, my well-being, than himself. He really is, you know. He's really more interested than you than himself. He, he said, oh, I, I, don't, I, I, don't really, I don't really know about... No, he really is more concerned about you than he is about himself. And if you really want proof, it can summed up in this word, or this phrase, he is a self-sacrificing God. It says God was in Christ, bringing the world, as you and me, back to himself. And how did he do that? Through the sacrifice of Christ. He was in Christ, sacrificing himself on the cross for you. Yes, he would lay down his life for you. 
That's not self-interest. That's you interest. That's what God's like. That's how much he loves you. He's more, his thoughts are not towards himself. They are towards you. And that's why he's not quick to anger. He's not quick to anger because he understands us and know that we are frail, weak, and we mess up. The psalm says, you know my frame. And he looks at us and he goes, do you know, I I know that you're not perfect. I know that you're fallen. I know that you're sinful. Bible teaches that we were born imperfect, we're born sinful because Adam and Eve sinned and we're part of their lineage and their fallen genetic code came through us so we're all born selfish. I don't need to teach a child to be selfish. I could train them to be, do the right stuff but their default because it's in us is fallen, imperfect and selfish and self-centered. But the thing is he knows that. He knows you can't live a perfect life. He knows that we fall short every day. He knows that we mess up. We, he knows it. He knows it in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words, in our attitudes. He knows it. And because he understands it, he's slow to anger. He doesn't come down on us like a ton of bricks. Because he understands us and he loves us. He loves us like a good parent. Now, this is really important. He loves us like a good parent who is more concerned about training than punishing. Now, I'm, I do regret that sometimes the Christian church gives the impression that God is more about punishing than developing us for our well-being. I think that is changing now, thankfully, But that God is down with anything, placard brigade, doesn't truly represent who God is. He is is not into punishing. He is into getting the best out of us, growing us, maturing us, setting us free, helping us out of the mess. That's his heart. In fact, Jesus says this. The Son of Man didn't come in the world to judge it. He came to rescue it. That's the heart of God. That's his knee-jerk reaction towards him. That's his, towards us. That's his instinct. And that's, that's why he's slow to anger, because he's not about punishing, because anger often is punitive in nature. It's punishing in nature. Now, when it comes down to being slow to anger and not keeping score, the key is to begin to think like God, adopt his thoughts. Because thinking like God is transformational. The Bible says in Proverbs, as a man thinks, so he acts. As a man thinks, so he is. You see, what goes up in here, the the thoughts that we choose to adopt the values, the mindsets we choose to adopt and make our own and turn them into our value system, those are the very things that cause us to react a certain way and cause us to become a certain type of person. So if you want to be slow to anger, 
and no keep score of wrongs, that we can actually walk in freedom. One of the keys is to begin to adopt God's thoughts, God's, God's attitude that he has towards us, that we adopt it towards life and others. So Romans 12, 2 says this, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world's thinking, but be renewed by the Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be transformed by, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's something here we choose, and it's the way we think. You choose it. God can't do that for you. You choose to adopt a certain way of thinking in your mind. So that's why Jesus came out of the wilderness and this first message was repent and I've said this many times, it's the Greek word metanona which basically means change your mind. Change your mind, the way you think. There's a new way of doing life coming. It's called the kingdom of God. Change the way you think and it will result in a change of behavior which will result in a change of who you are and life will be different for you and all around you. Change the way you think. Adopt God's thinking. God helps us with this, but we have to choose. It results in a change of behavior. And as a result, God changes us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we actually, slowly over time, become the type of people we really want to be. And we become the type of people that God has created us to be. So, Let's unpack these verses together in our understanding and behavior. Let's just drill them down and make them relevant to us. Love is not proud. Building on Matthew last week, love is not proud. Why uh, pride is about... I've got a... Matthew, help me with this, please. Or Adam, I have a... Yeah, it's probably true. (laughs) Okay. I'm taking injury time for this, by the way. <laughs> Don't wash my notes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> Love is not proud. Why? Because proud is about me. And I love that illustration that Matthew gave last week when Jesus wasn't treated well and he was so secure he didn't make a comment. But when somebody else wasn't treated well, he stepped in and brought it to people's attention. That's what love does. It's it's not me focused. But this verse follows on from what Matthew was preaching last time. And it's all about being self-centered. So love is slow to anger and keeps no score of wrongs. So let's look at anger first. Much of, not all of anger, but much of our anger is rooted in me, us. The wrong you've done to me, the wound you caused me, the disappointment I feel, the injustice against me, the frustration I feel when I can't get my way, when things aren't done my way, when my hopes, my plans, my expectations are sabotaged or simply don't work out, when something is taken from me, I get angry, yeah? 
That's how we respond, isn't it? Human nature. So anger is rooted in, in me. It's in us. It's in the I. Why do children have tan- anger tantrums? Why do teenagers storm out of rooms saying to their parents, I hate you? Why do people become revengeful and vindictive? Why do people lash out in words and sometimes physically? Why? Because it touches the root of me, the I, the myself. And it's often to do with something, it's often to do with not getting what we want or not being treated the way we think we should be treated, deserve to be treated, ought to be treated, or want to be treated. And we hold on to this default way of thinking. This is a default way of thinking. This is fallen thinking. This is not heaven thinking. This is not God's thought. This is human thoughts, imperfect thoughts. And we hold on to it. And we justify we're all right thinking this way. We should think this way. Not realizing that it's, it's the root of anger and so much destruction personally and to others. You've done wrong to me. You should have wrong done to you because that's fair. Hmm. Gosh, I'm so glad that God doesn't treat us like that. You know, when we do wrong and we, <laughs> we mess up and he looks down and says, well, it could be fair that I bring some reproach upon your life. He just takes a bigger circle and brings us into mercy. Why? Because he's a self-sacrificing God who died on the cross. So all of our sins and wrongdoings could be put upon Christ on himself instead of us. And that's God's justice. Wow. God's justice is manifest in forgiving us. You suffered, you made me to suffer, so you should suffer. Or we could choose to adopt God's thinking. I'll just repeat them. He's more interested in the well-being of others than himself. Can we do that? He understands why we mess up. He understands our failings and our weaknesses. So he cuts us slack and he's slow to anger. He loves like a good parent who's more concerned about training for our wholeness, maturity, and well-being than punishing and restricting and grounding. Three types of anger to be aware of. One, very quickly, aggressive anger. Simply shouting, smashing, hitting, accusing, things boiling over. Very destructive. Equally destructive is passive anger. Silent, simmering, resistant, withdrawing, sabotaging. Oh, no. nobody never know you can have a smile on your face, but inside you're seething, and it usually results in not necessarily striking out and damaging and hurting and violence, but and being uncooperative, resisting, being awkward, making things difficult, withdrawing our love, our resources, our help, our kindness, our presence, our friendship in subtle ways. Yeah, you know, resist, you know, passive anger when you've been in a friendship for a long time and suddenly you think, I don't know, is there something wrong? Have I done something? Things have something changed and I can't work out what it is because you can't work it out what it is because a plate hasn't been smashed, the door hasn't been slammed, a fist hasn't been raised, a voice hasn't been raised 
But you just know that things aren't what they were. And it's, hmm, yeah? Passive anger. Third type of anger is what they call assertive anger. Uh, I actually think this is more uh, akin to what we call righteous anger in the Bible. What we have to remember is this, that anger is a God-given emotion. But he hasn't given us that emotion to actually destroy ourselves and lash out of others and be unhelpful towards others. He's given anger when uh, somebody else is in danger and we are motivated for a short period of time to put a right wrong on behalf of others. So this is what Jesus did. When Jesus went to the temple and he saw the traders trading and they were selling like sparrows that were the sacrifice for poor people to, to make to God under the Old Testament. And they were taking these sparrows, which were cheap, but you could only buy sacrificial animals in the temple. These sparrows were extortionate prices because they were more concerned about making money than they were about providing a provision for people to worship God. Yeah? And he said, this is unjust, this is wrong, this is exploitation. And Jesus walked into that and how the traders in the temple were exploiting the poor and it made him angry. Interestingly, he didn't get angry when the crowd turned upon him and said, crucify him, crucify him. He didn't get angry when the Romans put the nails in the cross and the and the thorns on his head, and he was stripped naked, bleeding and broken after being scourged for the sins of the world. He didn't get angry for them. Do you know what he did for them? He said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. He didn't get angry for himself. But when he saw the poor exploited, he got angry. You see the difference? And so he went out in a calm, calculated way. He sat down. I love that he sat down. No rage, no shouting, no knee-jerk reaction. Sat down, got a piece of rope. Don't know how long it took him, but he got a whip. <laughs> and with the whip, he drove them out of the temple. And you said, this is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And once he'd defended the rights and the cause of the poor, done and done. That was assertive, not self-centered, righteous, liberating. And assertive anger is when something has been done wrong, a relationship may be wounded, somebody may be put in jeopardy, but you don't become passive about it and simmer you don't get aggressive about it and boil and go destructive but you have a plan to solve the problem maturely whether it's to restore the relationship protect an individual or put a wrong right let's allow the Holy Spirit to change our minds about Anger that is unhelpful, sinful. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Be slow to anger. It's an act of love. Let's move on and just conclude with the last thing. Keep no score of wrongs. Even I 
Blot, I, the Lord, blot out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Now let's just understand. It's not like God forgets. He can't forget. He's God. You can't forget. And let's face it, if somebody does something to you or something bad happens, you, can't, you don't forget it, do you? The very nature of something bad has happened kind of focus it in our thinking. It's difficult to forget. It's not, he doesn't say, I'm the Lord who forgets your sins. He remembers them. What this is, he just chooses not to recall the offenses and feelings against us. I, I know you did it, but I'm not going to recall it against you. When I'm in relationship with you, when we're connecting, when we, you ask for my help, when you ask for my prayers, when you ask, can we be friends? I'm just not going to recall all that stuff against you. I know you did it, but I'm making a choice here to be like Jesus, to be like my Father, perfect in heaven. He has chosen not to call our sins against us. Why? Because he's chosen to recall our sins against himself. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. I mean, not only does he not recall our sins against us, he goes in the total opposite spirit and takes them onto himself. No wonder we come here on a Sunday just to worship him and give him thanks. No wonder we want to give our lives to him. What a God. What a man who was God. What love. The more we can understand this love, the more inspired we are to love him and love others like he loved us. The greatest act of love. And he died that we could be free. And he died so he could withhold no good thing from us. He, doesn't, he died that he could continue to protect us, bless us, provide for us. Keep no score of wrongs. Not withhold his love. To keep score of wrongs, this is what it results in. We penalize, punish, and withhold because we don't think you're deserving. We make judgment because we think you should have some kind of punishment or grounded because you've done this. We become the judge and jury. We, we, we conclude that somebody is not deserving because they've done wrong. And they deserve to be disqualified from our friendship, our love, our resource, our prayers, our blessings. And deep, 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 deep down is a matter of the heart. There's a, pro- there's a verse in Proverbs, it's an interesting verse. It says, don't eat with people who are stingy. Don't desire their delicacies. They're always thinking about how much it costs. It's about the heart. We can have a mean heart towards people. And not a generous heart. The word grace, where the love of God flows from, comes from gift, generosity towards us, a generous heart. Always adding up and holding it against somebody. 
Three questions people ask when it comes down to keeping score of wrongs. How often should I let it go? At what point shouldn't I keep a scorecard? Well, Peter and the disciples asked this. How often should I forgive somebody if they sin against me? Seven times? That's what they thought. Oh, I'm really being generous here. I mean, seven times. I mean, that's a lot, isn't it? And Jesus said, 77, seven, 70 times seven. In other words, always forgive. Never keep a scorecard. And he says, well, this is impossible. And he says, yeah, with man it is. But everything's possible with God. Okay, how can I forgive someone when there's a danger that they might hurt me again? Let me explain this. Forgiveness is not giving permission for someone to hurt you again. Boundaries are sometimes needed, lawful, and necessary to protect you and others from further harm and wrong. So if somebody is doing wrong to you and causing damage to you and endangering you in some place or somebody you know, forgiving them doesn't mean you permit them and allow them to carry on. You may have to say, do you know, I am going to have to withdraw from your presence. I am going to have to stop you coming to me. I remember once going to Pennsylvania and there was a lady there, she from Newark, New York, her and her husband took a taxi. I mean, it's an hour's drive. must have cost them a fortune, and they were a poor couple, but she was so desperately ill, and she had nerve problems. You touched her hand, and she was in pain all over her body because people were healing. They heard that we had a healing ministry. Do you remember this? Oh, and so so they drove up. And uh, we went into one of the people's church's uh, houses because they were related to these people, uh, and uh, we prayed for them. And I began to pray for them. And uh, as we were praying for them, she was beginning to get totally healed, just talking about the healing of Jesus. I can feel better already and the pain's going. But as we prayed, there was a tiny little bit in her foot that just would not be healed. And I knew that unless that little bit didn't, wasn't healed, it would come back quickly. Because in my spirit, I felt the Lord show me that was, there was a blockage there. And uh, I said, what is this? And I felt the Lord say, uh, ask her about her mother. I said, oh, do you have a problem with your mother? I'm not letting her back into my life again. <laughs> and what it happened, her, her mother had wounded her and hurt her and been so un- inappropriate to her all her life that the bitterness and the anger and the keeping score of wrongs in this situation was a... Um, a hindrance to her being fully healed in this situation. And I said to her, listen, to forgive your mother doesn't mean you've got to let her back into your life. It's just a matter of not wishing any harm to come to her because she has harmed you. You let it go, the harm, the desire for her to be hurt, the desire for revenge, the desire for her to be punished, the desire of, that is causing this out of your pain, you let it go, that's what forgiveness is. But you still don't let her into your life if she is going to wound and damage you. We pray once more, and she was totally healed. Funnily enough, the following day, 
which often can happen. Uh, she hadn't spoken to her mum for years and years and years, of, of course. Uh, her mum, out of the blue, phoned her up. But this time, because she'd forgiven her, she didn't have the angst in her heart, although she still had to keep the boundary. So forgiveness often means boundaries in certain circumstances. Thirdly, what if somebody breaks the law? Do I have to forgive them then? Okay, if someone has broken the law, they still may have to face the legal consequences. They may still have to be reported to the authorities. When he's talking about forgiveness and not scorekeeping, it's personally, not legally. I no longer hold resentment. I don't personally want them to suffer for what they've done to me. I will not withhold my prayers of blessing and well-being from them. I will not curse them. I will not deliberately do them wrong, even though I may have to report them to the authorities. Do you understand? It's personal, not legal. Sometimes letting go of anger and record-keeping takes time, much prayer, help from experience and wise people, but God is patient and kind and he understands. He knows we can't always manage to remove our anger and records in one moment. He knows that we can't always let go of the offense that we feel overnight. He knows that sometimes it takes time. But what he's looking for and he encourages us to walk in for our own well-being is the willingness to let it go, to journey towards love, mercy, to give love like God has given love to us, to allow God to transform us over time. And as we change our thinking and become aligned to God, we learn to love and live like Jesus. It can take time, but it's time worth taking. And I'm confident, says Paul, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to the day of Jesus Christ. So as we pray this morning, and I pray for you, why don't you just say, Lord, I let go of my wrongs and unforgiveness and record-keeping of anybody who's hurt me, and I ask you to help me, either immediately over the course of time, to journey into freedom and wholeness in this area. I know that your mercy is for me and with me, even even if I can't smash it all in one morning, but it might take a few days, weeks, months. But I am committed in your grace to journeying into forgiving others and keeping no score of wrongs. Let me manifest the love that you've manifest to me to be slow to anger and keep no record of wrongs. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing, deep, unconditional love for us. 
and we worship you that you are a self-sacrificing God and you'd rather take all of our wrongdoings on yourself than put the consequences of them on us. We receive your love this morning and help us by your spirit to continually have an understanding and revelation of your love that we may love others and love you. We pray, Lord, as we just decide to forgive others and let go of our scorecards, that you will liberate us and free us, the pain, the wounds, and the need to hold on to the wounds that have been given to us from others or circumstance or life. And as we take a first step and a first prayer this morning for many, we pray that as our good shepherd, you'll lead us to the place where our souls are restored. And we ask, Lord, that from this day onward, you will accelerate our journey into freedom. In the name of Jesus. Amen.